Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. And we're back for more. Oh my gosh. I'm David. And that's Jim. And this I week, am Jim. This week, we're going to be talking about something that uh, we probably all do. So, uh, right. it's that thing that they tell you you shouldn't do when you're growing up. Uh, that, you know, you'll put your eye out. Might go blind. Like that. Yeah, you might go blind, actually. It's, huh? There's a lot of eye strain involved. Anyway, so, so before, we, before we reveal our topic for this week... I'm going to jazz myself up because I'm not feeling well, forewarning, and I'm going to say the housekeeping. Are you a regular listener? Why not? Subscribe to the Practical Guitarist to your chosen podcast app. Take the time to put a review with the service where you found our podcast, like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Get involved. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Practical Guitarist. You can also find us at Twitter as, at, on Twitter as Pract Guitarist. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have launched a Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can do so at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Oh. Anyway. I'm going to spend the rest of the show doing this. You're going to get right in front of that thing, just so you can be like right there and get, get that audio quality coming out. It's the best audio quality Jim, Jim, ever. I'm going to fucking compress the shit out of this anyway, so it ain't going to matter. Um, it doesn't. And YouTube compresses it the rest of the way, so fuck. <laughs> yeah, might as well. Uh, yep. There is a literally zero dynamic range left on this. <laughs> We're done. So, uh, <laughs> basically, it's That's no- what the WAV file looks like. Noise or me speaking, or Jim speaking. <laughs> Um, since we're now doing this in stereo, I can now make myself louder than Jim if I choose to. Uh, anyway, moving and on. And he does. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so as we're, as we're discussing this whole thing, uh, we're talking about eye strain and putting your eye out and growing hair on your palms and all that good stuff. We're talking about watching concert footage and music documentaries and music movies. So this is our topic for the week. If you don't like it, tune out now. Um, Jim is holding up a copy of, that would be the Kiss, Kissology DVD collection. So I guess we're starting off with our favorite live material. Uh, he's got all three of them, in fact. Kiss, uh, was the anthology, the riffology, and then Kissology. Right? They're all called Kissology. <laughs> oh, are they? They're all called the Ultimate Kiss Collection, um, Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. <laughs> is that what it is? And they they range in all their years from 1974 to 2000. Now I feel lame because I don't know enough about Kiss. But look at how look at how cute Gene Simmons is. He cute. Oh, uh, wow. he looked like right creep, there creep back then too. <laughs> uh, so, um, what attracts you to that, Jim? Well, okay, so I grew up. Like many um, people, I mean, Dimebag, Daryl, and those folks, um, believe it or not, Dimebag's only a couple years younger than, well, was, was only a couple years younger than me. Um, and uh, Vinnie Paul was the same age as me. Right. Um, we, uh, I grew up in that era when Kiss was rock and roll. I mean, there was a time when before, there was a time before ACDC in the land of darkness. When we did not want to listen to everything that was based on the blues, there was a time oh, when hate my some <laughs> folks couldn't stand to listen to Eric Clapton all day. Oh, no, not him. Um, came Kiss. And they were something different. I mean, seriously, though, they were something different. And what attracted me to Kiss was, I mean, I went to those shows. I'm a New Yorker, so obviously, you know, New York boys... Um, so I shared a um, kind of a lineage, uh, although I think Kiss is from Queens and Brooklyn. Yeah, they're nearby, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, the um, the other thing that I shared with them was um, that bond to that crazy. They were just over the top. They were just over the top. They took every show you went to. You saw the blood. You saw the the fireworks. You saw the flames. You saw the stuff that. Everybody oozing eyes at a TSO concert 
Trans-Siberian Orchestra, for those who don't know what that is. Um, and KISS was doing it. And they were doing it to, to for everyone. And they did it, and they did it well. Um, you know, it, it, there was a lot of controversy in the band. We could talk for months. I mean, uh, about... <clears throat> Knights in Satan's service. Well, yeah. So there's an interesting interview in this one. Um, that's why I held it up first. Uh, on the Kirk Douglas show, um, where uh, Gene Simmons is being interviewed, and he's sitting back like this, you know, uh, yeah. his big shoes. He's a big, tall man as it is. You add all that makeup and those shoes, and that's a big guy. And um, he goes, uh, this woman goes, you don't scare me. And he's, she's this older woman. I don't know if she's Julie Andrews, somebody like that yeah. sitting there. She goes, you look like a good Jewish boy from Brooklyn <laughs> or well, from Queens. I don't he, know. he does. And that's what he was. He was a clean cut Jewish boy from, from New York city. Right. I mean, he's from the burbs. That's it. His mom still lives in their childhood home. Um, and he's that, you know, he's got dual citizenship. Right. He's a uh, Israeli and uh, American. Um, and regardless of what you think of his politics, what you think of how they treated Ace and Paul and everything, um, or not Paul, um, Chris, Peter Chris, um, the, the fact of the matter is that Gene always wanted what was best for Kiss. And that was, you know, his business decisions were not always popular. But well, wanted- that's the thing, like Kiss, and, and, and Kiss is a business. That's the thing, like... He wanted what's best for the business, and I think if you phrase it that way, it makes more sense. Because let's face it, we've all had to float through some business decision that we didn't agree with. It just happens. So, you okay, Jim? Man, I gotta, I gotta cut back on the water. Aquafina's killing me. Yeah, you should get water poisoning. Wow. I probably made him laugh because I, because I said something. No, yeah, kind of. But it wasn't funny. I mean, but that's what it is. A band is a business. And so many bands get lost in the personal side of it. And they forget that you're still there to make money and to make a living. So that leads me into my decision uh, for the band that uh, many people today have very negative feelings about because of how they were formed. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be the Led Zeppelin anthology that came out basically right around the time I graduated high school. Uh, that yeah, that was, was what, the, 90? Like, no, 2003. Or 2003. Yeah. I have that. I have that concert. I, that, yeah, that DVD. So I grew up watching Song Remains the Same. And to be honest with you, it's hard for me not to choose that. Um, right. I got Song Remains the Same like right after I started playing guitar because it, you would see it all the time in the discount bins at Walmart. It was like seven ninety nine for it on DVD, and I bought it, and I was like, "Who the hell?" Because I had been familiar with Led Zeppelin, the music, but not the guys. And then I saw like these gods of rock on stage, and the Gong, and the, and uh, the Vista Light kit, and all that stuff. And I was like, "That's what I want to do." Like that. When I saw that, I was like, "Yep, that pretty much confirms it. I'm doing the right thing." So. Yeah. uh then the anthology came out, and everything they had done up to that point just like was amplified. I didn't know, and, and my generation, despite what your peers tell you, did not understand what that was like. Okay, yep. You don't get the scope of a place like Madison Square Garden going absolutely ape shit for Led Zeppelin for three days, like that. It's just, I mean, it's just jaw dropping, and then. To have some of the songs be released on both that DVD and on the uh, the the and, and also on the as the West was one double CD set. Uh, actually, I think it was a triple CD set. Uh, triple, yeah, I think it is because triple. like like I have that too. Like immigrant song, what live version? Where did that come from? And then you hear it on there, and it's literally my favorite incarnation of a Led Zeppelin song ever. Uh, the the version of Heartbreaker that's on As the West was one. Oh my God! Like who oh, yeah. are these guys? You yep. know, and, and we don't talk about them with the reverence we should. Yep. Uh, 
they single-handedly reinvented blues rock and did so with a flair and panache that has not been met since. Uh, you know guys like Rival Sons? Yeah, they wish they were Led Zeppelin. Like, that's that's the reality. That's what they've always wanted to attain is Led Zeppelin status. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, when I watched that DVD, a couple things stick out in my mind. Uh, the early days, when they were at the Royal Albert Hall on there, is great. Uh, the sound of that DVD and CD box set is so damn good. And, from what I understand, Jimmy Page didn't use Marshalls at that show. He was using no. uh, High Watts. Yep, High Watts. And uh, so it re- made people reevaluate, you know, how do you get those sounds? And now Jimmy, yeah. of course, has come out and he's added more fuel to the fire. Because everybody knows he used Supros in the studio to do certain things. And now he's come out and said, well... I may or may not have used a Vox Super Beetle for all the sounds yeah, on the first. The on the first, yep. le- he's full of shit. They ain't no fucking Vox Super Beetle. Let me tell you, I have never heard a Vox Super Beetle sound like that. I heard one just the other night, and it didn't sound shit like that. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Jimmy Page. You know, so I I, I read an interview about um, oh probably fifteen years ago. It was around that time when that came out. <clears throat> he was talking about how he recorded. A lot of the albums, yeah, you know? with a with a condenser and, in the back and things like that. Yeah, and how he would he would put John Bonham in a bathroom down one end of the hall and himself at the other, and doing these crazy microphoning all the way around, playing with the phase and all that to get yeah. things to sound right. And he was good at it. Yeah, that's why they fired the engineer every <laughs> single record. Yep, because they didn't want people to know, or like they wanted everybody to know that it wasn't the engineer that was making these records; it was them. Right. Yeah. And specifically Jimmy Page. I mean, he had a, he had his shit together. As far as guitar sounds were going, like there are songs where you'd swear up and down that it's a Marshall stack and it's and it's a it's a like a little one by ten Supro or something. Yep. It's just ridiculous. And he was doing it through these unorthodox combinations of let's put, you know, a condenser in the back of the cab and then we'll put a you know uh a SM fifty seven out front and then we'll put one sideways. And then we'll we'll adjust the weather sideways to get the right filtering effect. It was just like it's just complete science. I mean, but but hack science. Like nobody else would do this. Nobody would do this today. You know why? Because it costs money to play around with that stuff. Uh, yeah, it, and it takes time, and time is money. No, what you got to put yourself in the shoes of going into this band though is that the, the hatred that I spoke about is because a lot of people feel that they were a studio put together band that the that they were a record company puppet right. uh now jimmy page was richer than god when he formed yep. led zeppelin. zeppelin and that's what people need to understand he had no reason to do that nope. uh he was already a very successful very famous local session player he had ridden the yardbirds and become the basically the de facto owner of the yardbirds and all their material he could have sat there and done nothing the rest of his life he really could have Right, he was bored. He didn't want to do nothing, so that's why he went. And he tried to get. He actually tried to get Pete Townsend and, and Keith Mood to yeah. to uh, form Led Zeppelin with him. Uh, it right. wasn't Led Zeppelin. It would have been. It would, they were actually going to call themselves the New Yardbirds. Yeah, but the New Yardbirds. But it's this yeah. whole thing, and then like the Yardbirds in and of itself. I mean, you've got what Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page all in the same band, not at the same time, yes. but but still. No. Like, those three guys going through that one band, if you put your head around that and they realize that Jimmy Page ended up the business owner of that. Yeah. He was set. There was no reason yeah. for Led Zeppelin. He did it because he was bored. Yeah. What else did they need? And and uh, like you said, he didn't need that. He did not need it. And, and you know, that's the thing about Kiss. Kiss was, um, you know, a group of everyday folks. Um, <clears throat> and... Regardless of what you think of Kiss's music, you can call it simple, you can call it sloppy, because a lot of Ace's stuff in the beginning was sloppy. And a lot of people don't know that, um, you know, Paul, Peter, Cri- or, oh, sorry, Paul Stanley laid down a lot of that stuff because at some points, you know, Ace was a little bit out there um, during that transition period. Um, and uh, for example, you know, the two part um, guitar for, uh, uh, Detroit Rock City. Right. That's Paul. Yeah, I've heard That's that. Paul. And so if you take, uh, and uh, of course I'm going on what Paul has said, and you know, we got to take that with the grain. Yeah, but who I knows have, if it was even I him or if they hired somebody else to do it? I mean, back I then. Right. 
But I can't disagree with him because I don't have anything to, to, to justify to say, oh, you know what? That's not right. But I'm going to say this. Kiss brought <clears> – <throat> that's why I have these. That, these are live albums, uh, live um, things. Um, their, their studio stuff was okay, but their live stuff is what made it. That's what yeah, made Kiss Alive Kiss. is the record that everybody talks about. There's a lot of you, guitar players yeah. out there that say Kiss Alive is the reason they play guitar. Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2, which you can argue that they're studio albums. Yeah, because they, uh, they, they overdubbed they, a they lot. They fixed a lot. <laughs> yeah. They, they did not. Now, according to um, Paul Stanley and Peter Chris, they couldn't fix the drums because there was too much bleed. Right. There was no way to fix the drums, but they did fix a lot. Um, I've seen them live. I can't tell you how many times. And I and the music is secondary. They just yeah, it's just put a show. Such a show, such a blast to see. And that is why Kiss to this day is is probably one of the most entertaining bands I've ever seen in my life. Honestly, honestly. Well, well when I watch Led Zeppelin these DVD performances, I get the same feeling. But the funny thing about Led Zeppelin is they didn't dress up. They didn't do any of that. No, the guys were just so magnetic when you watch them, like with, with Robert Plant and his st- socks stuck down oh his pants, God. and yeah. you know, <laughs> he just carried himself like it was like I know I am God right now in this room. Yep. I, as far as you are concerned, I am God, and <laughs> that you're going guy, to listen to me. Yeah, he owned the room. Yeah, he still owned does. It. He still does. I mean, he, he, the the stuff that the Robert Plant's done. Often oh, yeah. people gets overlooked, but I mean, he still is that good. He just won a Grammy for the Allison Krauss project five years ago. Hey, I'm well, gonna I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna ask you a question that is rooted right here, but it's kind of off the wall. It's kind of ADD for me because somebody played a song for me today, and he goes, "I've got an acoustic version of Radioactive." Okay, I went really. That's awesome, and right. then I heard it and wanted to puke. Because it was Imagine Dragons, not The Firm. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that was, I was the saddest when I saw Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, so that's the thing. Like, Look at all the projects that, that, that Jimmy Page went on to do afterwards, too. Right. The Firm, and then like yep. he did Page and Plant. They reworked all that Led Zeppelin material. Uh, I, honestly, I think the version of Cashmere that's best yep. is the one on the live DVD that they did with uh, Page and Plant. Uh, yep. So the point is, the guy's had an illustrious career. Now, it's probably very shocking to you, Jim, that I am such a huge uh, uh, Jimmy Page fan. I'm like, honestly, he's one of the top three for me. Why did I? Why would I be? Because he's not a strat you're a player. You're a blues guy, though. And yeah, yeah. All right, he might not be a strat player, but in the studio, he was playing a lot. Le- he was playing a lot less Les Paul and a whole lot more uh, Telecaster. Better. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of Telecaster there. Uh, in the evening, he played a Strat on the, in the evening. That is a, allegedly the only song he has ever recorded with a Strat. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So, but that you know, again, <clears throat> I if I had to choose between the two, and they're gonna hate me for this one, I would choose Kiss over. Over, oh, um, no, I understand. I understand. Look, not Led Zeppelin is certainly not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, oh no, I love Led Zeppelin, but it, it, it's just that if I if I have to put a number one and a number two and a number three in there, kisses right, kisses right. right up there. So now let's let's get. They're not it. my number one, but I'm saving that for another night when we do this again. Let's let's switch gears here. All right, so we've talked about your choice for live concert DVD. Yes. Let's go to documentaries. Now, yes. you, you've already told me you picked two. You tied two. Yes, I did. Right. And but I would have pick, picked one of these, but I have a better pick. And and the thing is, people are going to hate me for it. So I'm thrilled. I'm only going to talk about one, one of the two that I picked, only because I want to save one for another, for another, thing. for another thing where we can talk about it. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to say this the anvil, the story of anvil. I think Anvil being A-N-V-I-L. Yeah, it's Anvil, right. I think that Anvil, the making of Anvil, the story of Anvil, I think that's one of the greatest documentaries ever made. Because whoever made that that documentary put Anvil back on the map. 
Everybody had forgotten that Anvil existed. Everyone. Till that documentary came out. And then all of a sudden people were like, Anvil? I remember them. I remember that guy. He played a guitar with a dildo. I remember that guy. And and all the stuff he did. Yeah, you see during the documentary, he's talking to Carmen of Peace. Carmen of Peachy, Carmen of Peace. I can't remember how to say it. Anyway, Carmen's looking around nervously like, why am I on film talking about this guy? I do not know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got the feeling with several of the intro video people that they like interviewed, like Slash and all them, that they were all like, yep. "Yeah, I think I knew who I'm talking about, but I'm not positive." Like I saw him a couple times, but Lars Lars Ulrich, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, but let me yeah. tell you, here's the thing about Anvil. So I want to say why this documentary is so great to people who have not seen it. You should watch it. Yes, you have you, it's on Netflix. Go get it. Go check it out. Do yourself watch favor. Just it. watch two hours. See what happens to people who don't make it. Right. Because here's the thing. Anvil was playing the big shows. We're not talking about, oh, they played the same stadiums as whatever. They were playing alongside the Scorpions, and they were playing alongside ACDC, and they were playing alongside of of the big and the big four, they were they were bigger than the big four at one time, right? And then the big four came up, and and Anvil got swallowed up into all that because they were the beginning of Slash. For for anybody who's sitting here wondering, oh, sorry, Thrash Metal. Yes, they were. And for anybody who's sitting here wondering what Anvil actually sounded like, I I think Quiet Riot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot with thrashy influences. <laughs> And very, very had the look. Uh, I, Quiet Riot actually had the look of Anvil, right? Um, because Anvil came first. Anvil was 1980, you know, 81. Yeah. And so the documentary starts out. We we see all this concert footage, and it's wow, look at this guy, it's Anvil, and you see him, and he comes out with a dildo, and he's playing a guitar on a dildo, and it's hilarious. And then you see a guy who is obviously Canadian, and he's driving in his car. And it's like a you know an episode of Cops. And he's, talk, he's talking about going to work. You know, like, talking about going to work, and he's delivering food dude. to the local schools for for lunch. He's yep. delivering school lunch. Food. That's his job. That's what he's doing. Yeah. And yet, this guy, this guy who has gone to that point, he goes. <clears throat> I remember in the in the uh, uh, beginning, he says, "It can't get any worse." Yeah. It, he wanted to keep doing it. He's like, I can't, it can't get any worse. And um, <clears throat> so anyway, he had not given up hope. No, and, and that's what the cool thing about the whole thing is. There's that one scene where he just gets angry and he's, and he's like, you get the feeling he's arguing with the producer or something. Like the producer says something like, when is it time for you to just like call it a day? Like they feel day. bad for the guy. And he's like, we're never going to give up. Like, we never, you know, we didn't sign up for this. What we signed up for was to, was to be the top of the heap. And we're, and we're going to keep going until that happens. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> if there's anything you can take away from watching this two-hour documentary, it's how persistence pays off, can pay off. Because he does it. And it's, it's got a spinal tap ending. I mean, yeah, it does. Literally, a spinal tap ending, and I don't mean a spinal tap ending as in it's a bad thing. I'm talking about a spinal tap ending as in look at the good that came from just plugging and plugging and going and keep going. I mean, the drummer quit his all time. I mean, his friend of like forty years. You know his, knew yeah, his they, they fight he constantly fight. in the movie, and they actually get physically into it at one scene, oh, and you're like, whoa, and this is real. <laughs> This is not staged shit. This is not reality TV bullshit. No. This is real stuff. His the 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 promoter, um, so a little bit of a spoiler. They have a promoter, wants him to go to Europe and says they can make this much yeah, money. It's a real fun tour. And he oh when he gets into do with the club owner. Yeah, I'm not oh, gonna say anymore. Own. You have to oh, watch this God. movie. It's too guys, good. <clears throat> it is a real life spinal tap movie. Twenty years after Spinal Tap movie came out. Yeah. But this documentary is from what 2003 or 2004. Rob Reiner wishes he knew these people when he made yeah. Spinal Tap. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> they were really doing this. Yes. Time. So um, the the beauty of this is that Anvil, the the um, the whole thing, you see them come back, right from from literally dust, dust. Yeah. Now they're now they're headlining tours in Europe and stuff. Yeah, they were open for the Scorpions recently, and like, yep. so yeah, I mean, and 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 
okay, look, if you're a fan of music from that generation, you'll probably like Anvil. I'm not a huge fan of Anvil, but I but I will say, like, I have a tremendous respect for a band that would slog it out like that for that long. That's right. Because most people would just be like, to hell with this, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. But they were the guys who took glam rock and brought it to thrash metal. I mean, they were the ones. Yeah. That, I mean, whether you like them or not, whether you heard of them or not, whether you, they were the tipping point between here's glam rock and now we're sick of grant glam rock. Let's do something different with glam rock and turn it into metal. What they had like what they, they, cause I give all the album titles in the, in the movie. There's like 18 albums or something. <laughs> and it's just like spinal tap. <laughs> yeah. Shit sandwich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? No, but there's literally like 18 albums. So, I mean, these guys didn't yeah. like have a hiatus. They just kept going. They kept going and kept recording. And yeah, they had the, the two guys that are still and, and we're always with it was the lead singer, guitar, and the, the guitar and the player and the drum and the drum. Right. Yep. They were with it the whole way. <clears throat> so I, hats off to those guys. That That is why it, if there's anything, anytime that the, the music industry's got you down, anytime you just want to quit, anytime you want to throw in a towel, watch, watch Anvil. Anvil. Yeah. And then go, man, my life cannot suck that bad. And I've still got hope. There's still hope. Can we, can we, can we talk about mine now? Yes. Now. I'm willing to bet that everyone has seen this because it, it's it been the subject of so much meme controversy and stuff over the years. And it is quite possibly the thing that has given two of the band's performers the worst, like, reputation in the industry. So uh, is, it, is it the Justin Bieber biography? No, no. It's almost as bad. It's Metallica's Some Kind of Monster. Oh, my God. I haven't watched that yet. I put it in my feed. Oh, you haven't watched it yet? That's another Netflix one. I have not. All right. I put it in my feed. So let me. I'm not going to give anything away because it's, Jim, nothing can prepare you. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Oh, I've seen a lot of snippets from it. Oh, my God. So everybody knows Metallica. I mean, obviously, like, their reign from Kill 'Em All straight up to... Um, really, Injustice for All and for a lot of people, the Black Album of some of the greatest metal ever. I mean, just just straight up, like very well constructed metal songs. But then you 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 go beyond the Black Album, you get Load and Reload, which a lot of people are on the fence which with. I'm okay with those. A They're lot of listenable. people are on the fence. Okay. They're listenable. Right. So then now go past those. So then. We have some kind of monster which fits in between because it it chronicles the three year recording process of Saint Anger, <laughs> and and honestly, you get a very deep insight as to why Saint Anger was so fucking bad. bad? Yes. Oh my good lord! You have what a fuck Jim horrible. You have a album. singer who goes through rehab. You fire yep. your bass player who in yep. a lot of ways was the linchpin for the band right before you start <clears throat> to re- record the record. You hire Bob Rock to produce the album and give him complete creative control. Now, Trillo joined at this point, right? No. Rob, Rob Trillo? He wasn't no, there yet. No, he did okay. not join until the album was basically done. He lost, right? right? Yeah, that's right. He joined when they did the, um, the disastrous Metallica Icons thing. Can I say something about Jason Newstead? Yeah. While you're time. Sure. <clears throat> First of all, I've seen a hundred interviews with him. At least a hundred, if not more. Never, never has that man had one bad word to say about that band. No. That's no, and he, not in the movie either. He's a consummate professional. Number two, regardless of what you think as a listener of what uh Newstead um sounds like. Or your your feeling on his playing. He was put in a shitty position. Who's the guy that came in right after um uh Randy Rhodes? Right after um, Randy Rhodes. And they got and then um Zach Wild came in and replaced him. Was it Jakey Lee? No, something with a G. No, it was Gus G. Gu- no, that was the that's oh, that, the last guy, but that's who yeah, that's um, who it is now. Um anyway, yeah, Mr. Right. Forgettable, right? Anyway, I feel he, bad because I just watched him the other day. Yeah, and uh, my point is this. <clears throat> he was put in a position that was impossible. 
you're told you're brought into the band. You're told um, Cliff Burton was the greatest bass player ever. You will never be able to do Cliff stuff. Don't even try. Yeah. And it's basically just like do do as be- do the best you can. But the problem with and and this is the thing that Jason Newstead got screwed on. Metallica uh-huh. pissed on him. They did it not want him to replace. No. They didn't want anybody to replace. And then but- oh here's the real fucked up part, Jim. You'll see in some kind of monster that after they fire him, they kind of sit there and go, "Shit, what did we just do?" Yeah. Like why what the hell happened? And really, Jason Newstead kind of wanted that, wanted some time away, and they were like, "No, we can't do that." But then they were stopping and kind of thinking about it, and they're like, "Wait a minute, like we just fired this guy, and like he was the best bass player we've had, like replacement wise, we couldn't have done any better." Right. And 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 there and there's some remorse. While while James Hetfield is in uh, rehab, they go to see James Hetfield, or they go to they go to see uh, Jason Newstead's band Echo Brain perform. And yep. he's not there. He leaves right after the show. And I don't know whether it was intentional or whether he just didn't know they were there. Um, and they're sitting there kind of realizing, like, shit. Like, what do we do? Like, what's happening to us? And yeah. so the the main focus of some kind of monster is they hire a therapist. And the th- Oh, yeah, yeah, that fucking dick cheese. I saw a few uh, uh, things with him, and I'm like... No, but they needed a therapist. They, they, so they, they did, but this guy... Yeah, he's he's a pain in the ass. What they what they should have done was they should have gotten an arbitrator. They should have to help them work off. out work out their. They should have taken a year off. They should have just said, you know what? Let's not get together for a year. Let's not do anything for a if, year. If, Let's leave each other's phone numbers where we can't find them. Let's go somewhere for a year and then come back. The problem, but if we're still all friends and we're still all then fine. The problem is did, if they did if they did that, Jim Hetfield would have never gone to rehab. And he'd be dead because because even he admits he go, he takes a hunting trip in the movie and he goes to he goes to Russia and he's just drinking vodka the whole time he's there he's there for like a week and he only, and he only hunts one day and the rest of the time he spends drinking. And Do you like, know what he does now? I have no idea. He raises bees. That didn't surprise me. So anyway, go ahead. He's drinking and he's in Russia. Yeah. So and, so, and then he comes back and then like. They do a couple of recording sessions, and he just gets a, ends up getting in a nasty fight with them. And then, like, they cut to the 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 MTV news thing where it's like Hetfield's in recovery, like he's in you know some undisclosed rehab facility. He's out of commission for like nine months. Yeah, not like six weeks, nine months. If I remember right, he had to do a lot of vocal therapy when he got back too, didn't he? Uh, they don't show it in the movie, but but uh, he they show him warming up and stuff. Yeah. Um, he he obviously knew that he had to work on some things. Um, it's all a thing, but the point is that the band is going through some tough times. It's like the complete opposite of Anvil in the sense that these guys are at the top of their world. They still are. They still are. Even when St. Anger came out, as bad as that record was, they sold a lot of copies. It went platinum. Yeah, because because the name Metallica was on it. Right. It wasn't because it was good. But I don't care what anybody says. It wasn't because it was good. I, the, the, the sicker part of me, the, the, the awful part of me, laughs. And it's like, look, even these assholes, as successful as they are, have the same problems that, that bands that are just starting out in the garage have. That's right. And that's what makes it interesting. It's, it, I would say interesting more than entertaining because you laugh, but it's like that documentary, Wild and Wonderful Whites in West Virginia, if you've never seen it. You laugh your ass off through that, but then you, then it suddenly hits you about three quarters of the way through. You're like, these are real people, and these are yep. their real problems. And you're like, yep. oh my god, I'm laughing at this. And you just it, you break down inside. You're like, what the fuck? Like this is so jacked up. That's the feeling you get watching some kind of monster. It's the exact opposite. The Anvil story and the some kind of monster story are going like this. So. One's going up, one's going down. Right. They're just doing it the crossroads. And the and the thing about I think that the lesson you can take away from the some kind of monster thing is no matter how good you got it, you gotta keep working to hold on to it. Because they took a lot of shit for St. Anger. I don't care that they sold them. I don't care 
when a band sells like this many million and then sells this many million, that is still a bad thing. A lot of and, what what you see in the movie, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but a lot of yep. what you see in the movie, and, and it becomes very clear, they are a band that is completely isolated from the world around them. They don't understand how other people perceive their music. And so you'll see them in this film when you watch it. They bring in outside opinions or people that are close to the band. And that's the problem. They bring people in who they pay, yeah. right? Who, who, are what employed, are they say? who are employed by them. Do you think they're going to sit there and say anything other than this fucking great? Exactly. They're sycophants. Right. Right. That's how they got that position to begin with. <clears throat> exactly. So that's my point. Go on, Jim. I know you're finishing. Well, no, off. my my point is that you know it, even this many million is not a success when you're used to spending or selling this many million. And the other side of it is that when your fans are going, man, I bought this album and I wish I could get my money back because it sucks. That and then they did Lulu. Come on, come on. And and the only the only thing that they released after the black album that I really liked, I hate to admit it, was Garage Band Inc. I actually liked their version of Turn the Page, and I enjoyed their version of um, Whiskey in the Jar. Um, it's actually Whiskey in the Jarro. The, yeah. pro- the problem I have with with Garage Inc. is they did some misfit songs and stuff like that, and it's like yeah, that was where there's I, no I, I, way, I, I do not anyway, so. believe. For a second, that Metallica was ever playing a Misfits song in the garage. They put some shit on there that was real easy for them to rehearse and play, is what they did. Well, <laughs> Whiskey in the Jar is, is, is a fun song. Oh, it's no. A, it's and fun. some of the songs and they clearly, did a good they, job they, with it. Yeah, some of the songs they clearly put a lot of effort in, like Turn the Page, like that, that cover yep. is really good. But they knew those were going to be the radio ones. And That's it was right. almost like after they did Reload. They were like, we got to do something to fill the gap. And it was like, let's just do a cover album real quick while we try to sort ourselves out before we do another original album. And then you get to St. Anger, and it's so far removed from anything they've done before. And that's because they they show you in the movie how they recorded that album. They got a bunch of guys in a room, and they just played for like an hour or two. And then they would take little snippets of it, and then they would just turn it into loops. And then they would, you know, maybe they might go in and overdub a guitar so it sounds like it's not a loop. And then they would, that's the song. That's how they would construct a song. Screw you, Bob Rock. No. Bob Rock, to his credit, if he had done one extra step and say, this is the arrangement process, now we're going to go back and actually record the song, I think the albums would have been totally differently. And I, I didn't see it in the movie shown explicitly, but that snare drum is absolutely a doubled snare. He took. And drum replaced Lars Ulrich's good snare sound, whatever that may be, because I've never really been a big fan of his drum sound anyway. And then threw that snare on top of it. It had to be. It's the same fucking snare throughout the entire record. Like, there was, there's no way. There's just no way. Because the album was actually recorded in two separate locations. More so, cowbell. So they did half the album in, in the Presidium, and then they did yep. half the album at Metallica Studios. Right. So it's like, what the fuck? Like, how do they sound that similar? It's because he drum replaced. Yep. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. So what I don't, I, I and I agree. Uh, first of all, that snare sound was awful. That was some of the worst. I am not a drummer, and I am not someone who is a, mute, a recording engineer, and I'm certainly not a snare connoisseur. But that is the worst snare sound I have ever heard in my entire life. It's look, you could have gotten by with that. A perfect example. Uh, Living Color did a record called Kaleidoscope, and on some of the songs they have a very similar snare no- sound. It's not the same snare sound, but it's very similar. And the point is, they got away with it because they didn't use it throughout the record, and they weren't making a thrash metal album. The second right. you start putting that on every song, and the snare is literally every other beat. You're like, what the fuck is this? What is this? I mean, yeah, if, I sounded, wanted, if I wanted a steel drum, I would have gotten a steel drum player. That's what I was going to say. It sounded like a steel, bo- a steel drum with a bunch of tennis balls on it. It was just like this weird, <laughs> strange, echoey 
thing. Well, and that's, again, they, they recorded in the Presidium, and they didn't take much effort to make it an acoustically neutral space. Um, right. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Yep. So. So it, it, that's good. We we had very opposing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I figured you were going to pick the other one, so I said, "All right." But but that being said, I really do like uh, some kind of monster. I hate Metallica, um, what they become. Uh, yep. I, I and, and that movie, you will see. Hetfield goes through recovery, but he comes out kind of a pretentious ass, and mm-hmm. so does Lars Ulrich. Well, Lars Ulrich is a He's a dick throughout the movie. He was he was always a dick. There is a scene where he sits and he has to be confronted with Dave Mustaine. And honestly, the way he handles that scene shows how much of a dick he really is. All right. Let's let's talk Dave Mustaine for a second. Okay. First of all, Dave Mustaine really did deserve what he got, which is a boot from the band. No, he did. He did. He was drunk off his ass. He couldn't rely on him. Well, you don't start a business that he, way. He he frames it differently in the movie. He says, "Look, well, I got I got fired because yep. I was a drunk. That was my right. fault." He said, "I just wish you had given me the ultimatum and tell me I've got you know two weeks to get myself straightened out." Right. Yeah. There's two things they should have done, in my opinion. One, but looking back, you wouldn't have had a Kirk Hammett if you hadn't gotten rid of Dave Mustaine. But I'll, I'll say this: eh, one, he was an Exodus. One. True. That's why I'm saying you wouldn't have had Kirk Hammett in Metallica, and there's a there's a lot of great music as a result. But anyway, um, <clears throat> you would not have had, um, or I mean, uh, they should have given him the ultimatum: get sober or get out. And two, not giving him cab fare, or whatever. I mean, bus fare. Yeah, they home, screwed him really bad. That and, was bullshit. And you know what? That doesn't come up in the conversation in that scene where he says, you know. I you didn't even help me like get back like that. Yeah. That's the, that's the big like f you like he he honestly I mean and Ulrich just sits there and he's like I can't believe you really spent the last twenty years like thinking about how your life would have been different if we hadn't fired you. That's that's his attitude. That's literally the the way he reacts. Like you can pretend like I'm the cause of all your problems, but let's be honest. Like this is stupid, and you know that I'm not the cause of all your problems. It's like wait that was a Lars. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, what in the hell? How in God's name do you get to sit there and act like that towards anybody you treated that way? Yep, yep. You shit on him. And the and the thing is that you know, yes, Lars and Lars and uh, um, Hetfield are not much different from Paul Stanley and um, Jesus. Yeah, Simmons I mean, honestly. If, if Kirk Hammett wasn't such an easy guy to get along with, you get the you get the feeling in that movie he'd have been gone. Oh yeah, yeah. He, Kirk Hammett, he's got his now he's got his horror thing. He's kind of a Rob Zombie guy. He's, he doesn't care. Um, my thing is this: if you're gonna if you're gonna be a musician and you're gonna have that you know that going along, um, then yes, you have to treat it like it's a business. And they traded it. They treated it and treated it like it was business. You know, Lars takes a lot of heat for the whole um, uh, Napster thing and the whole MP3. They covered it. They, co- they covered it in that movie. Let me tell you something. Everybody who said you're a jerk, you're wrong. People do. They they're backpedaling now and they're going. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, you're right. You're right. People did steal our music, and they aren't supporting us because the musicians thought that. That, that people would go, oh, you know what? You're right. We shouldn't steal. We should we should support our local. Nope. Hey, fuck them. They, they just took their money and ran. Or, in other words, I mean, when you steal, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that is stealing music, or that is stealing. When you steal music off the off the internet, you're stealing. It, the, the, regardless of the fact that it's easy, and you don't think it's a big deal, and all oh, they're millionaires anyway, and this, that, and the other thing, it steals from pockets just like yours. And re- if you're and rare- an original musician. And rarely are they actually millionaires. I said to a guy today, the, the same guy that, that uh, showed me the um, acoustic version of, of Radioactive, he said something to me, and I said, hold on, let me play you, because um, he played it to me from YouTube. I said, hold on, let me play you one, um, a, a copy of a song I purchased. <laughs> I said, because 
Those guys do this for a living, and that's how they get paid. And well, that's why your your acoustic musician does these shitty versions of shitty songs because, oh, guess what? If I get if I go do amazing or imagine dragons version of of um uh, or uh, an acoustic version of imagine dragon song, I'll get a bunch of clicks. That's how I make my money because he can't sell anything he writes. I mean, right? That's mm-hmm. that really. That's what it is. And I said, and, and that comes from the fact that people are willing to steal music. Just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. Just trying to think if there's anything else I can add that doesn't indemnify Metallica any more than I already have. Um, well, so if we look, I'm Metallica. Hi. <laughs> all right, all right. So since we covered earlier this week, we talked about things that we will not be buying. Um, yes, I have to talk about something that I did buy. See that the oh, story. it did finally come in. This is a USPS package, and Ooh. and there might be something music related here. There might not be. Uh oh. Here it comes Deathwish Coffee. Oh, Deathwish Coffee. Yeah. So. Anyway. It's not music related, but it does keep you up enough to do the music. I'm going to be using that to edit tonight. Um, All right. So before we close, I want to say uh, that we'll be doing these more often because this is this is fun. Um, and, and I think that please share your your favorite concert footage. Yeah, or your like if you got movies or something, like share them in the group. We'll, we'll take a look. Jim and I actually like this stuff. So, Oh, yeah. This is great stuff. So today... Um, this is my learning magazine of the week. Um, Chicago Blues Rhythm Guitar, the complete definitive uh, guide. Big, yep. steady, and Roland, Bob, Margoline, and Dave Rubin includes DVD. Yep, and again, just like uh, the the Gag Cock thing, there's a there's a um, inside there's a code. I'm going to keep covered for, down- for download for downloading. In case you're not someone who would use the DVD, um, and I gotta say, so I've been messing with it. Um, and for those who you don't like blues guitar, to, do you, Jim? No, not really. Um, those who, uh, but I will say that a, obviously it's obvious that a lot of rock music comes from blues, right? We we know that. And so what I like about it is it's got standard notation. It's got tablature. It's got the um, things. Uh, honestly, I think that they could have done one thing better. They could have given you um, the music because you can't download the music. And these aren't these aren't copyrighted things. These are just stuff they made up. Hmm. You know, and they could have done better by giving you that so that you could slow it down, speed it up. You know, your favorite sure uh, type of stuff. I think that you're letting your your users down by doing it. But that said, this is all relatively easy stuff. Um, but it does go into how do you want to um, play? Like, there's some chicken picking stuff here. Yeah, that's cool. Um, hybrid picking, that type of thing. So, if you're into uh, some, if you're trying to learn some rhythm guitar, everybody is always afraid. Oh. I I don't need to work on rhythm guitar. Yeah, you do. Or Bucky. I have heard some of the greatest lead guitar stuff and gone, wow. They completely dropped off the one. Matter of fact, um, uh, Eric Clapton famously talked about the the um, Crossroads solo. And somebody asked, how did they get where they were, you know, because of the solo and how long it goes and everything else. He goes, frankly, we just forgot. What, we just lost the one. Yeah. I just lost it. Couldn't find it. <laughs> we had to come back till we could finally make it. <laughs> That's funny. And it was just funny to hear Eric Clapton go, yeah, it's just a big mess. <laughs> He's trying to come back. I mean, obviously it's brilliant, you know, when you look at it later. But in the moment, it was just a screw up. Yep. Yep. Let me ask you this. If you were to, uh, if you were to give, um, and and we'll ask the the, um, the the folks in the group. And next week, let's talk about this. Your favorite multi guitar solo. Your you know, in other words, dual guitar, triple guitar, 
whatever it is. Don't say it now. What's your favorite dual, triple? In other words, not a single guitar player. It's got to be, you know, that that Led Zeppelin, or I mean, not Led Zeppelin, um, uh, unless it's a it's um, a double track thing. But it would be better if you'd come up with something like Molly Hatchet. Molly Hatchet was double, right? Um, yeah, I gotta think about it. Uh, the Outlaws, um, you know, obviously almost all the Southern rock stuff. Um, and of course, uh, when we get to rock, you've got a lot of oh, metal. I already know what it is. Iron Never mind. Maiden, Judas Priest. You I know, know what it is. Never mind. Uh, yeah. I've got mine. I've got mine. And, and it's a hard one because I love so many of them. So many double and triple um, uh, guitar solos that I just go, wow. I can listen to it over, over, over. And I can listen to that weedly, 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 weedly thing over and over and over and still enjoy the shit out of it. Just like it was the first time I heard it. More sighing going on. Yeah. Is that so, got a quicker bag back there? Nice. I got that from Gearfest. Did you get? Yeah, I got that at Gearfest. Oh, I got this. Oh, wait. I've got to drink some. I've got to drink some um, of the Kool Aid. Hold on. Hold on. Where's my. Oh. Here's oh, my... Sweetwater. I love you so much, Sweetwater. Thank you There's so much, rose... Sweetwater, and Sure Microphones for making this podcast possible. You we got appreciate the, you got all the... your love and support. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. You've got the whole. Um... Uh, Blues Brothers thing going on now. Yeah. You should wear those more often. I should wear these on stage. You should. So anybody that gets a chance to hear us uh, this podcast, um, which might be the first, it might be the second, we don't know. Um, my band is playing this week, so if you're in the Virginia Beach slash Norfolk, Hampton Roads area, uh, come out and see um, Retrosonic. Um, and we'll be on local television. We're going to be on 757 Rocks. I will put, I will post the videos so you guys can make fun of me because the guys chose six of the eight songs I'm singing lead on. <laughs> so I, I'm singing lead on everything. I want to plug my project right now. I'll be doing nothing. And uh, I'll be playing on the floor behind me by myself with my guitar. <laughs> that amp right there. It'll be wonderful. Amazing. <laughs> Good stuff. Maybe mother, I'll put some of it in the group. Your mother told you you're going to go blind doing that. I'm, I'm ready. I got the glasses you're and everything. You are you are prepared. Yep, yep. So, with that, uh, I have been David. And I have been Jim. And this has been The Practical, Practical Guitarist. Guitarist.